good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees, the Multicultural Mass and Secular Scam. How are you, my friends? I hope you're having a great day wherever you are. It's a G20 summit in, in India and it is a great, great day to be um great, great celebration uh, of economic powers and I hope it's a very, very successful summit, and I wish all the attendees a successful summit. Uh, economics is the reason we exist. Without economics, we do not exist. And, uh, uh, well, they don't talk only about economics. They talk about different issues from climate change to economics to bilateral cooperation, a lot of it. But at the source of it is all economics, because you... you you want the climate to be better. You want the climate to continue, to, to improve. Why? Because if no climate, if you have climate disasters, then you have economic problems. So at the end of the day, it's all about economics. So um, I wish all the attendees uh, a great 20, G20 summit, and I wish a successful summit to, to the Republic of Bharat. My dear friends, I'm going to start saying Bharat from now on. Um, yes. I, I want to get that into my head. Um, today we're going to talk about what, uh, the legacy of Mountbatten and Nehru. The Mountbatten Nehru Gandhi legacy in the height of the in the light of the G20 summit today. Okay, just another opinion, and we'll go to it. So I was reading a book, Freedom at Midnight. I'm sure many of you have heard about it. It's written by Larry Con- Collins and Dominique Lapierre. Uh, it's um, it's a very famous book. And I bought it, and I'm reading uh, um, from chapter 100. I want to give you an insight of what Mountbatten saw when he first came and how we've reached to the place we are today. The legacy of these three men, okay? Um, So I'm going to pick it up on page number 100, and I'm going to read some lines to you, some paragraphs. Um, The words were so terrifying that Louis Mountbatten at first did not believe them. They made even the dramatic sketch of the Indian scene uh, Clement Attlee had painted painted him on New Year's Day seem like a description of some tranquil countryside. Yet the man uttering them in the privacy of his study had a reputation for brilliance and and understanding of India unsurpassed in his viceroy attachment. Establishment. A triple blue of first at Oxford, uh, George Abel had been the most intimate collaborator of Mountbatten's predecessor. India, he told Mountbatten, with stark simplicity, was heading for civil war. Only by finding the rapidest of solutions to her problems was he going to save her. The great administrative machine governing India was collapsing. The shortage of British officers caused by the decision to stop recruiting during the war and rising antagonism between its Hindu and Muslim members meant that the real the rule of that vaunted institution, the Indian Indian Civil Service, could not survive the year. The time for discussion and debate was past. Speed, not deliberation, was needed to avoid a catastrophe. Coming from a man of able stature, those words gave new, the new Viceroy a dismissal shock. Yet, there were only the first in the stream of reports. 
which engulfed him during his first fortnight in India. He received an equally grim analysis from the man he picked up with him as his chief of staff, General Lord Ismay, Winston Churchill's, Churchill's chief of staff from 1940 to 1945. A veteran of the subcontinent as officer in the Indian Army and military secretary to the earlier Viceroy, Ismay concluded, India was a ship on fire in mid-ocean with ammunition in a hold. The question, he told Mountbatten, was could, they, could, was could they get the fire out if it before it reached the ammunition? The first report Mountbatten received from the British government, uh, British governor of Punjab, uh, said it was a warning that there is a civil war atmosphere throughout the provinces. One significant paragraph of that report offered a startling illustration of the accuracy of the governor's words. It mentioned a recent tragedy in rural district of Rawalpindi. A Muslim water buffalo, a Muslim owner's water buffalo, had wandered onto the property of a Sikh neighbor. When it when its owner sought to reclaim it, it it a fight then then a riot erupted. Two hours later, a hundred human beings lay in the surrounding fields, hacked to death with skits and knives because of the vagrant humours of the water buffalo. Five days after the new Viceroy's arrival, incidents between the Hindus and Muslims took 99 lives in Calcutta. The two days later, a similar conflict broke out in Bombay, leaving 41 bodies mutilated on its pavements. Confronted by the outburst of violence, Mountbatten called India's senior police officer to his study and asked him if the police were capable of maintaining law and order. No, Your Excellency, was the reply. We cannot. Shaken, Mountbatten put the same question to Field Marshal Sir Claude uh, um, Auchinleck, Commander-in-Chief of the Indian Army. He got the same answer. Mountbatten quickly discovered that the government with uh, which he was supposed to govern India, a coalition of the Congress Party and the Muslim League, put together with enormous effort by his predecessor, was in fact an assembly of enemies so bitterly divided that its members barely spoke to one another. It was clearly falling apart. And when it did, Mountbatten would have to assume the appalling responsibility of exercising direct rule himself with the administrative machine required for the task of collapsing underneath him. Confronted with that grim prospect, uh, assailed on every, on every side by reports of violence, by the warnings of his most seasoned advisers, Mountbatten reached um, what he was perhaps the most uh, important decision he would make in his first 10 days. It was to condition every other decision of his Viceroyalty. The date, June 1948, established in London for the transfer of power, the date he himself had urged on Attlee, had been widely optimistic. Whatever solution he was to reach for India's future, he was going to have to reach it within weeks, not months. The senior, he wrote in his report, to Attlee government on the 2nd of April 1947 is one of unrelieved gloom. Um, 
I can see little ground on which to build any agreed solution for the future of India. After describing the country's unsettled state, the young admiral issued an anguished warning to the man who had sent him to India. The only conclusion I have been able to come to, he wrote, is that unless I act quickly, I will find the beginnings of a civil war in my hand. So what does that mean, my dear friends? I always talk about currents and waves. It's our currents that form the waves. It's not the waves that form the currents. It is important to understand. In their quest for hatred of, of the British, which partly they were you know, right in having so, um, Gandhi and Nehru uh, antagonized the entire Indian uh, subcontinent. Okay, started with them. Jinnah was on the scene before Gandhi and Nehru. He was more senior, but he was about getting people together. He he was very secular in those days. He was uh, uh, he was says he his goal was to you know Indian Hindus and Muslims are brothers. And that's what he was. Hindu and Muslims were brothers, and they wanted to, to unite to get the British out. Gandhi came on the scene, and he decided, he and the Congress decided, that he, they were going to be the soul of India. The soul of India. India's soul. And he wanted everyone to follow him. Uh, he did not take into consideration everyone else, and he sort of blackened out everyone else's opinion. There was a lot of fighting going on in the Congress um, party, even in those days. There was infighting. There was left wing. There was right wing. Today, we look at the Congress as a left wing party. But doesn't mean there are no factions within the party. Even in those days, there were factions within the party. And it's the same for all parties. In, within the Congress, they had left wing and right wing and all the different wings and opinions put together. So that is that is the Congress for you. Now, they, for some reason, and you can speculate about that, Gandhi did not get along with, with Jinnah, and that's where the problem lied. He, Jinnah took his anger and went out on the streets, and, and here we go. The mistake that Gandhi and Nehru did was they knew very well that the British were not there alone. At the max, there were 170 million, 70,000 Brits, including women and children. This is the big, biggest number I have seen. So how did 170,000 people rule a subcontinent? Um, that's including women and children. Well, guess what? Um, they were ruling in conjunction in bilateral agreement with the Nawabs and the uh, princely states. The Nawabs, the Maharashtra, the, uh, the Marathas, and the princely states. And he, they were ruling in conjunction with the Zamindars. They were ruling in conjunction with the Zamindars. So all they had to do was, you know, tell the Zamindars, or should I say, it's not all, it's very, very easy to talk, but to stop aligning with the Brits. If they had stopped aligning with the Brits, the money would not have gone to the Brits, and without any money, they wouldn't have a reason to exist. Uh, if they sh if they told um, if they told 
the Nawabs and the Maharajas, you know what, uh, stop collaborating with the Brits. But what, and you know, we will come to an agreement ourselves. They wouldn't have been a partition. We would come together. But all of that takes a lot of negotiation. And they were not willing to do so much of negotiation. It was easier to get the Brits out, okay, and take their place. So what they wanted to do in reality was take the place of the Brits. And they called the shots from the top, which is why we had the Congress for 65 years, plus or minus, 60 years. Because having that conversation with the zamindars on the ground, with all the industrialists, having that conversation with the, um, with the Nawabs and the Maharajas, they were accomplishing some agreement, but it would have taken a lot of time. So they would rather have gone, they rather went the route of you know, antagonizing the people. They, in, they antagonized the people to hate the British, um, and that brought out uh, anger, frustration that had nothing sometimes to do with the British, with their own village lives, with their own history of trauma coming down the last 2,000 years or 1,500 years. Um, they had their own history of anguish and anxiety. Uh, then they were slaves to the Zamindars. The Zamindars ruled the land. They had problems with the Zamindars. They had problems being slaves of the literal of the Maharajas and, and Nawabs uh, with the feudal class in India. Um, so he'd rather not do that. He'd run straight to the you know, white man and decided that the white man has to leave. But how? Now he wants to antagonize the, the population, the electorate. So Long and short of the story, they had these manifestations, they had these dandi marches, the quit India movement, but that's all emotional uh, tagalong. That's emotional maf- uh, mafia, um, gundagiri, as we say. Uh, and if you use that emotional method and ins- or waiting a little more, um, waiting a little more, and and you know forming that coalition with the nawabs and all uh, nawabs maharajas zamindars the industrialists you would not have had to antagonize the people if they didn't antagonize the people there would not have been of such a bloody partition and you would come to an agreement with your other political partners now remember gandhi and nehru were socialist uh well nehru was a socialist more like it um and Jinnah was a free market capitalist, okay? He wanted to grow on the basis of free market, uh, just like he had become rich. And Nehru was a socialist, thinking that socialism will give all, everyone a job. Neither is correct. You can't be a socialist and you can't be a pure capitalist you, because you are cyclic. You will have people on the top and people below, and you got to do it absolutely part and part. Um, you, you have to understand uh, that there's got to be a little socialism and there's got to be a little capitalism. You, the earth is not flat. So you have a little bit of both. You come to an agreement, you come to an uh, understanding, and you rule the country that way. That's how it has, has been. There's always going to be a safety net. You need a safety net. And because you need a safety net, 
you always have a little, to have a little bit of socialism. Uh, but you also have to have free market economies to get the uh, economy rolling, uh, create investment, create uh, jobs, and make sure that your industrialists put back the money into the society, into the into uh, the the electorate. Because if they keep the money, they're not going to the 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 electorate below is going to be bottom unhappy, uh, bottom upside down. Because you'll be like you know like we have now twenty, only five percent is is rich, but what thirty percent middle class. The rest is all poor. It's not going to work. You're going to have social unrest. But it would take a while to do it. You would have been. They would have been able to do it but instead they use the easier route the easier route was antagonize the indian electorate against the british because it was an easier task but what happened that uh, that anger and anguish for all their frustrations that probably come down to the centuries with the war with the Mughals, the war with uh, being called Kufa, the war with their, uh, the Mughal Empire and the Islamic Empire really destroying the ecosystem on the ground, all that pent-up anger came out and vented. It was a time bomb, just like I, I told you just now. Um, Mountbatten was stole. Mountbatten was stole. India is a ship that is caught on fire and she's on the high seas and she's got her cargo load of ammunition so it's going to blow up. And it did blow up in 1947. It did. Between 46 and 47, it blew up. But nothing blows up like a volcano in one single shot. Slowly by slowly, it comes up. Boom. Um, and then after it's the, the dust comes settling down and you have aftershocks, after um, aftershock explosions, just like currents and waves. And that happened in 1947, and those aftershocks happened in the last 60 years. Now, my point here is if they had not antagonized the electorate to to produce hate against the British, we would have had... Um, we would have really got independence and the easy and the peaceful way, like uh, Jinnah had asked, and Jinnah had asked to go the constitutional way. We would have it would have taken a little longer, but we would have reached there without the partition, without the anger, without the antagonism, uh, without the mistakes that we made. We would have had time to understand, time to to put aside, time to have the dialogue. We would have had the dialogue and we would have moved forward. Um, but we wouldn't have the trauma of partition. So Gandhi and and Nehru antagonized the people against the British. Uh, then you had um, they because of that stupidity and an anger they pushed Jinnah the other side, and Jinnah not only wanted uh, capitalism, he was angry at the manifestation of emotions and and investment in emotions and emotionally charging up the people because he knew it was a volcano that could erupt any moment. I mean, this was not one big country; it was so many small tribes and kingdoms and tribes and kingdoms. And they really, um, um, you know, they were antagonized. And these people, once they're antagonized and, and, and lit, it'll blow up. So that's what uh, Jinnah didn't want. And Jinnah wasn't a very, very intelligent on that part. I would give him full marks. But with their stupidity, they pushed Jinnah aside. Now, Jinnah uh, goes and does exactly the same thing, but against the... Against the um, Against um, 
the Indians, he's not against the British. He wants the British to go, but he's not against the British. I mean, he doesn't hate the British. Mahatma Gandhi and Nehru hated the British um, and wanted them wanted to antagonize the electorate. And here we go. Uh, we had the partition going forward. Now, like any current like volcanic eruption that happens, we know very clearly the currents don't stop tomorrow. Uh, the, the currents will not just stop and when the event happens, and you still the currents still go on and the currents still form its waves. And those waves came back to haunt us. The last 60 years, they've had only capitalist, uh, socialism, Nehru, uh, and it brought, they suffocated the economy, which we never grew. Okay, and on the top of it, they persecuted everyone who did not align with them. They decided that they were the soul of India. They didn't ask anyone if they wanted to be, if they could keep them as the soul. They didn't. They didn't confer on anyone. Oh, we, you know, we can. Uh, they they didn't uh, confer on anyone. Uh, no one conferred on them. Their, their ability, the label, oh, you're going to be the soul of India. They self-appointed themselves as the soul of India, made a mess of things, and we got partition. And that is what is important to understand. Um, that they created the anxiety, they antagonized the electorate, and here we go. Now, the moment we got independence, the, the atrocities did not stop. On the second hand, when 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 Mahatma Gandhi was assassinated, uh, people of, of the Godse's tribe, um, they tr group, they did something very bad. The Congress uh, killed Savarkar, Savarkar's uh, family. They killed Savarkar's brothers, I think. There was a lot of riots, 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 riots uh, against the uh, anger against the Hindus. Uh, and against those particular tribes, there were specific riots. Um, and we were never told about these lies, never told about these lies, riots. We came to know only recently, um, now with the internet. But they had riots galore, and they killed a lot of people, even if those people fought for independence. So they were like, you know, they were like uh, Maharajas who uh, took their revenge on anything. They were... Um, it, it was insulting, uh, to say the least. Not to think that there was refugees, refugees all about the country after having separated, you know, in the recent past. So that is the legacy of the partition. Um, and uh, it was done haphazardly. But you see why now the Brits are not responsible for the t turmoil. The turmoil was caused by, by the antagonism of Gandhi, Nehru and Jinnah, who literally blew up the ship that was India. And of course, now the dust settles down, but it takes a while. Uh, Pakistan was way ahead of us in the economy. Why? Yes, they were getting funds from all countries. But more importantly, uh, they had a free market capitalist economy. Um, free market. But India had a socialist economy. They suffocated the state. They suffocated everyone, the capitalists, the, the, the industrialists. And because of that, there was no generation of income. We depended on handouts and just taking taxes. And of course, they were corrupt. No one was asking questions. Um, and they preferred to take socialism. But socialism never helped because you cannot help everyone and always give them someone else's money. And one time, the money is going to dry up. There's no generation of income. So uh, this, this economic anxiety 
hastened the the descent of India and um, you know took us down a a a path that we didn't want to go. It was insulting uh, the the anxiety and the and the ignorance um, Mahatma Gandhi and Nehru prof, uh, prophesized, um, and because of that. Um, all this anxiety bent up, bent up. There were riots everywhere. The economic solution did not happen fast. Did, did not change. The social unrest was there. Uh, and, and now they took that anger. And for 60 years, we know that they brainwashed us to hate the Brits. Whatever was wrong, instead of changing that, in, in, how do you change that? By having a conversation. By, by getting out that, that anger and anguish into a dialogue and went and and you know forming having a went but he didn't they did not do any of that they brainwashed us to um they brainwashed us to hate the british and we know that those aftershocks of partition still happen the violence still happen across the board from kashmir to 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 uh parts of uh uh to the 71 war, 65 war, uh, riots in India everywhere. You had the emergency. Look, um, there was war. The, the, the ammunition on the ship blew up and there was riots, wars that continued happening on the Indian subcontinent. So this is not something that Modi started. And this is my point right now. We come all the way down to 2014, the people are angry, the infrastructure is falling down. We got twice the amount of country for the infrastructure we have. People do not have basic facilities. People do not have basic anything. And here we go telling the Congress only wants to tell us that they are the soul of India. They're not the soul of India. They screwed up. They, they really screwed up. Uh, and India was separated because of their antagonism, refusal to use their brains, refusal to talk to people, to have different points of view. Um, and and it, they, India suffocated and India also broke the country. So in all, in my opinion, uh, the the anger, the fault line for the partition, let's not go to the British at all. I've showed you that there was a civil war on the rise. That means already they were angry. Um, and And this is exactly what happened. So that is important to understand that the currents still form their waves. The riots did happen and we come here to 2024 uh, and the 2023 and there are still riots because it's the aftershock of that event that happened in 1947 and the brainwashing and the antagonism of the people of that time now transferred to us and here we go. Um, so the point again I'm trying to bring to you over here was... Um, was the riots something that started in 2014? No, it did not start in 2014. It started way before 1947. And we've been literally fighting for a very long time. So you come all the way down, you're not going to change that. Uh, you come all the way down and you're not going to uh, stop all of a sudden because the currents don't form their waves. On top of that, the Congress is still antagonizing uh, the people. Oh, the Hindus are intolerant. All oh, the Hindus are this. All oh, the Hindus are that. Hindus are this. Hindus are that. Why are you antagonizing the people? You know the problems you had in 1946-47. You know the anguish. You know the anxiety. Why are you going against the government? I mean, there are other ways of doing it. 
the the dot 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 gang is antagonizing the hate speech i want to eradicate this and i want to eradicate that at the end of the day it's the same mistakes they're making today as they made in 1947 are we taking uh, is the congress taking the 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 um the accolades for this genocide that's going to happen no no they're not taking any responsibility and that's why we screwed up because we voted for this gongsho marida called the congress which is not capable of doing anything anywhere having a thought introspection is not the place i mean uh the congress has always blamed everyone they blame uh they blame the british they blame the hindus they blame uh as if we are supposed to eradicate ourselves they blame uh people um they blame they blame different types of, they blame everyone all their partners uh political partners uh they blame the pakistanis uh, but they will not take um they will not take anything uh form uh, they will not take any responsibility and that's why where we are we are where we are so my call to you today is understand what happened in 1947 and before that brought us to this junction that divided us it was not the british who drew, drew the line because we were told the british drew the line and that was it it was not the british who ruled the line it was us um who antagonizing the people to do one thing and one thing only rise above the status quo and transfer power to a bunch of goons called the indian national congress who didn't understand anything or anything all they wanted to do was power they wanted power they thought they were going to change the subcontinent but you cannot change the subcontinent in 2 weeks or 2 days or 2 years or 20 years it takes 450 years to 500 years for one cycle to happen and this is what is happening right now we're changing the position of our cycles and you know that's why we're on the top uh but they didn't understand that nehru and gandhi they were flat earth proponents absolute flat earth and it was insulting to look at them in the past and say oh my god these people belong to india and in any way all the all the riots happening after post independence is an aftershock of that ship that ship that is india that blew up and the ammunition depot inside the ship because uh if we stop them now if we if we uh, don't take this responsibility we're not going to change so it's important to understand that um it's our currents that form the waves nothing else and we have to understand evolve learn and what can i do better from the mistakes i made in the past till today and are we making those same mistakes are we making those same mistakes the answer is yes the dot 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 gang is antagonizing everyone and here we are one more time so if you want to heal my friends understand the past the junctions of the past heal and then move forward and we'll be better all better society after that because at the end of the day we're all brahmasmi so i want to say thank you again one more time to all of you and see you tomorrow